Okay, so let's recap a little bit, in case this is your first Sunday with us. We're going through Mark series, and we're in chapter 3, but I wanted to give just a few highlights, just three that uh, kind of give the, the great one-liners of Jesus since so far. So we learn in chapter 1 that Jesus proclaims the good news. Say, good news. Good news. Jesus proclaims the good news. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he says, The time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So in chapter 1, we see Jesus is calling for repentance and a belief in the good news. So a turning from an old self to a new self and believing in what he has to offer. And this is an alarming and an amazing message. It says in, in chapter 1 that the, the Jews in the synagogue were amazed by this message. And what that word means in the Greek is that they are more alarmed because God is calling them to a place of action. It's not just a word saying, wow, that's a really good word. I'm, really, I'm going to walk out with that. Just a really good word. No, he's saying you must come to action, people. There's a, there's a call of repentance, and that's not something that was seen at this time. And the belief in the good news, the kingdom of God has come. It was an alarming yet amazing message that the Jews were not prepared for and aware of, and it was very different than the traditional teachings of the time. And then we start to see that Jesus has authority to heal and cast out demons. Jesus has an authority to heal and cast out demons. In Mark chapter 1, verse 25, Jesus says to a demon-possessed man, or to the demon-possessing a man, be quiet, come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out with a shriek. I love that our Lord shrieks the principalities of darkness. And then when he says shut up, they have to shut up. I love that. I, I kind of changed that a little bit. And then in chapter 2, we see, why, in chapter 2, verse 17, it says, Why does he, this is Jesus, eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, it's, this is very important because a sinner at this time was a status. A sinner at this time was a class social, social status. So the, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the people who were in this, this maj pauses, ragtag group of people who weren't good enough, who didn't, weren't righteous enough in the eyes of the leadership and of the people. These were the sinners. Church, this was the original church. Okay, these are the people Jesus came to. And he says, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So he's talking to this particular group of people, this social status class called sinners, the people who recognize that they are in deep trouble. And then we move on to the, the third highlight. Jesus has authority to forgive sin and is Lord of the Sabbath, which Jody has been speaking of the last couple of weeks. In Mark chapter 2, verse 8, it says, Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority to, on earth to forgive sins. Okay, these are the type of things that gets Jesus killed. These are the type of things that the leadership of the, of the Jews at this time were yelling blasphemy. It wasn't the healings, it wasn't the miracles. Those are the type of things you keep, you keep that guy alive, okay? You don't kill the guy who's healing everybody, right? But you kill the guy who says is blaspheming, who's claiming the authority of God. 
And then in Mark 2.27, he says, the, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Even of the Sabbath. And that leads us into Mark chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at verse 7 through 19 today. Mark 3, verse 7 through 19. So if you want to pull that up on your, in your Bibles, you can turn or tap to it. I think I have it up here for you guys as well. You can go ahead and follow along as I read it. It says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him, for he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges. Oh, I can never say that word. Sorry, it's the hardest word in the Bible to say. But it means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. All right, so let's dive into this and see what the Lord has for us. Are you guys ready? Cool, two of you. All right. Are you guys ready? Yeah, all right, good. I know it's first service, but come on, guys, let's go. All right, so let's look at the first verses, 7 through 10. So at this point, Jesus has gone viral, okay? Jesus has gone viral. In the first few chapters, we see Jesus. He's traveling around Galilee. People are, are amazed at what they're seeing, the things that he's teaching and preaching. But it's mostly a contained regional area. It's Galilee. It's a small, really insignificant Jewish state. But now what we see in this passage is that people are coming from all around the area. This is like if Utah and Wyoming just gathered around to see one person. Okay, I mean thousands and thousands of people. So he's attracting people to himself from all across these different regions. And when it says there, it says going to the lake. And when you see going to the lake, I want you to think of going to the wilderness. Okay, going to the wilderness. Whenever Jesus goes out in the wilderness... Prepare your, you got to prepare for, there's, there's going to be a battle. All right, there's going to be a battle. Jesus went to the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and there was a battle. Whenever Jesus goes to the lake, there's going to be a showdown. Okay? So that's what we're starting to see. He's going to the lake, thousands of people, so many people he has to get on a boat slightly away from everybody because there would have overpowered him. It would have just, I mean, you could imagine just the rush of people who are sick, hurt, demon-possessed, wanting to touch Jesus. And you could imagine the voice that he must have had to carry to reach all those people while teaching. Amazing. But we see people from Judea, from Jerusalem, from Edomia, which is uh, Edom, regions across the Jordan, where my Moabites at. Woohoo! Just me? Okay. Um, regions across the Jordan, Tyre, and Sidon. 
And he actually ends up visiting most of these places. A lot of these places where people are coming, he will end up visiting himself during his ministry. But thousands of desperate people from an area, again, the size of Utah and maybe parts of Wyoming are traveling to see Jesus. He's become viral. He's become an attractive show that people want to be a part of. He's not just a regional small power that's traveling to to see people. He's becoming very well known. So he has to become an attraction. So desperate people, you can imagine if if you've been desperately ill, you know, if your family member has been desperately ill, this, this is the last hope for so many of these people. Well, wow, you can imagine them sitting there in their little, their little houses saying, man, well, there's this guy in Galilee who apparently is healing people, and people are talking about this, and it's all coming from travelers from Galilee in these different areas. But here's the catch. Most of these people, if not all these people, just wanted something that Jesus could give but didn't fully understand who he was. At this point in the story, nobody truly understands who he was. They just know he offers something that they want. Now let that that sink in a little bit. Let me say it again. These people only wanted something that Jesus could offer, but didn't know who he was. You could imagine them, them crying out, save me, Jesus, from X, from this, this disease, from this leprosy, from my situation. Give me what you have, Jesus. They wanted the byproduct of Jesus, but not, necessary, not necessarily Jesus himself because they didn't fully understand who he was. And this is what we're seeing in these first few chapters. We're seeing the byproduct of God. That when Jesus, when God himself enters a room, disease vanishes, demons fall on their faces and shriek and cry. That's just a byproduct of who he is. That's his aroma when he walks into a room. When he's touched or when he touches people. They're seeking the byproduct, not really understanding who he is is. So they knew Jesus by his titles, the miracle worker, the prophet, the good man, the trying to comprehend the only, the only possible way this could be, not recognizing that he is the Messiah. Again, I'll say that, I think I've said this before, I say it a lot, but they say, Jesus, clean me up, but don't ask me to bend the knee. Jesus, clean me up, but don't ask me to follow you because I can't follow you the way you want me to follow you. Jesus, clean me up, but don't ask me to do something. Save me from hell, but don't take me or make me uncomfortable. Don't make me confront the sins of my past, but save me. Heal my body, but don't make me believe on this message that is so hard to wrap our heads around. Solve my problem, Jesus, but don't ask me to spend time with you. Solve my problem, Jesus, just take it away, but don't ask me to spend time with you. That's the kind of things that we're seeing. Does that relate to anybody in this room? I know it does to me. Does that sound like a real friend? 
That's a, it's what we call a superficial relationship. Many of us have the Savior part down, right? We want to be saved, but we're missing the Lordship of Jesus sometimes. We want what Jesus offers. We love the cross, but boy, we don't want to bend the knee when it becomes uncomfortable or when it's inconvenient or when it gets in the way of our plans. I'm speaking to myself, guys. I'm not trying to whip you, I promise. So I'm asking you, as I, as I jump into this and as we continue to look at this passage, and I, I'm going to talk about a main point here in a minute, I want to ask you a question. Are you following Jesus for the title, for this title, for what he can offer, by, he, by what his name is only, or by what and who he is? Are you willing to throw significance, legacy, riches, comfort, your presuppositions out the window in order to follow our Lord? Or are you just wanting what he has to offer without knowing who he really is? And I think we, in this, especially in this place in Utah, we get to see this firsthand. We get to see the title being used, but no one really, not no one, there's people, the majority not knowing who he is. And here is one of the great ironies in this passage. So many people, thousands and thousands, I mean the disciples at this point are still probably figuring this out. Who is this guy? We're seeing all these things. But here's the great irony. In Mark chapter 3, 7, uh, or Mark chapter 3, the, the verses 7 through 12, or 11 through 12, Paul, sorry for that. It says, whenever the impure spirits saw him, They fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. The people don't recognize who this person is, but the demons do. Do you guys see the great irony in this? The demons understood who he was, but the people around him are still figuring it out. Again, when God enters enters a room, the powers opposing God are expelled by the byproduct of who he is. The very aroma, I like to think of a strong cologne, walking into a room, you just kind of hit with it, right? These demons are smacked with it. And sometimes he doesn't even let them speak. You can just see God is irritated by it. Like Jesus is like, "Eh, get off me, flee, right? So I want to talk a little bit about Title versus status. And that's really where I'm going to camp in a lot of this message is title versus status. What it means to follow someone with a title and what it means to follow someone with a status. So we read how the demons screamed out, you are the son of God. And that is a messianic title of our Lord. But that is not why they're screaming that out. They're screaming it out because it's the status of Jesus. It's not just the title, it's the status of Jesus. The idea here was that by screaming out to Jesus that he is the Son of God, which is one of the divine names of Jesus, it would strip him of his power. Their demons are trying to take an authoritative move on Jesus. 
It's kind of like when your, your mom would yell out your full name when you're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Kelly Herbert Van Arsdal, and you just, right? That's what they're trying to do. You see it in chapter one, he calls them, the, the demons cry out, it's called the Holy One of God, which means it's the one who carries with him the Holy Spirit. And then here again, the Son of God, they're trying to grab a hold of the authority of Jesus, trying to, to rebel and, and grab a hold of it. That's very much what the enemy wants to do. I want the authority that God has, right? I want to be God. That's exactly their whole driving force. Remember the garden? That's the exact lie that the devil told, told Eve. You can be like God. Don't you want to be like God? So by them trying to do so, it's irritating Jesus. I mean, it doesn't do, it's powerless against him. His status is so far above these guys that they're just, it's white noise to Jesus. But they're trying because they understand the true status of what the son of God means. Not just a title. And let me describe and define title and status here for a moment. So the definition of a title is a name that describes someone's position or profession. A name that describes someone's position or profession. A status is an official position or rank of importance given to a person. Let me repeat that. A title is a name that describes someone's position or profession. A status is an official position or rank or importance given to a person. So anyone can give themselves a title but a status is given to you. A status doesn't come from you necessarily. A title is something that you can take and run with, but has no real backing to it. We've all studied history to a degree. We've all had bad kings. We're a country because we had a bad king at one point. There's a difference between a king and a king. A status of someone who is revered. Think of it as a teacher. We can, you call yourself a teacher all you want, but if you're not teaching anybody, it doesn't matter. But then you see a, a teacher who has a status as a teacher, someone who's, who's looked at, and it actually teaches and gives away knowledge. There's, there's meat behind that. You guys follow me here? Okay. So the demons aren't just reciting a messianic title. They understand that Jesus is true and sovereign, and that his status is God. You guys get that? They try to speak against Jesus, but are silenced. Because they are below Jesus. And it's fascinating to me. I read, you know, you read these first few chapters, you see all these amazing miracles. And, and the Gospel of Mark is filled with miracles. And, and you look at how that relates into today with the demons. You see a lot of movies these days where demons are scary and they're powerful and, and they have these powers over all these different people and kind of, you can't exercise them out and all these things. And then you read this and they are nothing to our Lord. They are cowardly and weak. It's because of the status that Jesus has. So Jesus is the Son of God, the Holy One of God. Again, that means the bearer of Holy Spirit. 
the very antithesis of the impure spirits in the room. So it's black and white have entered a room, and the white is crushing the black. The very antithesis. This proves who Jesus Christ really was and is, which is why he told them not to tell anyone. I remember reading that. Did you ever read that and go, why wouldn't you tell anybody about this? Isn't our job to tell everybody about this? Did you guys ever think that too? I remember reading that as a kid and being like, that doesn't make any sense. I'm supposed to tell everybody about him anyways. But this is a very, this is a very important point because one thing that Jesus didn't want to have happen is the revelation of who he was to come from demons. You guys see why that's important? It was a self-reveal that Jesus wanted and in time. And then you've got to remember, at this time, the Jews were looking for a warrior. The Jews were looking for a, a, a king warrior, looking for a David to come in and wipe out the Romans, push out the Greeks, and create their own kingdom that would rule forever and ever. Jesus, obviously knowing this, and knowing that that's not the direction this is going, didn't want people to mob him, raise him up, take him to Jerusalem, and say, here's our king. You can see the problems with this. The riots, the, you know, the issues. We see in John and I think in Luke, we see people actually dying by the Romans' hands because of the riots in the atmosphere that's happening. And that's the last thing Jesus is looking for. He's not looking for a rebellion. He's looking to crush sin, the real war. So that's why we see him not, don't tell anybody about this. It's not time. And the demons are not going to be the one who revealed this to people. So I want to ask you, now that we know who Jesus is, and that it wasn't time for people to be revealed to that yet, we're going to see that as we continue to study Mark, how that gets revealed out. But I want to ask you a question. This is why I named the sermon this. Who are you? So we know who Jesus is now. He's the son of God, the sovereign, true God of all things. Who are you? Who are you? You know, God gives you more than just a title. God gives you a status as well. But I think too often we use it as a title, or we think it's a title. And when you look at the name that God gives you, which we're going to look at here in a moment, when you look at it as a title, you're not going to look at it appropriately. Your life isn't going to reflect it as it should be. But when you look at it as a status, something that was divinely given to you, your world can change. You guys want to hear this? You ask because you do not receive. Do you guys want to hear this? Okay. Your status when you repent and believe in Jesus is a child of God. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. I'm going to read a few passages here, and then we're going to break them up a little bit. 1 John 3, 1 through 3 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. 
For we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Now here's a common misconception. If this was a title, we would be born into it. As a prince is born under the king. That's not what this is. This is a status. It has to be given to us. We have to be appointed to this. Paul calls it an adoption. We are adopted into this status, this authoritative place in the heavens, in the eternals. Not something we are physically born into. Two passages here I'll read with you. Ephesians 1, 4 through 7, that's where I'll start. It says, For he, this is talking about God the Father, chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined or he foreknew us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given to us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And then Galatians 4, 4 through 7, another one. Paul writes, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Do you see where this is a status and not a title? There is a lot of power that God has poured into each one of us who have repented and believe in the good news. Beyond even what we can comprehend. And so often we treat this as a title, as a name that we just go by. I'm a child of God, yeah, okay. I guess that's what the Bible says I am. But you look at what Jesus did in Mark chapter 3, chapter 2, all of the miracles, the things that have accomplished, and do you realize that the same status and power has been thrown into you by the Spirit of God? This is a transformative truth. This is a life-changing, community-driven, state-changing truth. that we have been adopted through Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will that redeemed us from sin, that God poured into our hearts a status of heir and son or daughter. We are children of God. That is a status, not a title. We were given that. We were adopted into that. We are not born as children of God. The Bible's very clear that we're born into sin. We are born into sin. We must be born again to receive this adoption to sonship. So when we are born again, as John 3 talks about, we are born again by the Spirit given the status of sonship that cries out, Abba, 
father. That is, that's, that's daddy. That's daddy. Boy, remember this next time that you go into any kind of trial. Remember this today when you're, you're eating and, and, and identity is something that is so challenged in our times, isn't it? And that's the thing is when, when, when I'm talking with people and, and they're struggling or, or they're, not, they're not really seeing the picture, it comes down to who are you? Who are you? What has God given you? Who has he made you to be? When, when I say who are you, what I'm really saying is what has God made you to be? Do you comprehend that? Do you see that? That he has made you brand new and adopted you into the sonship of God and made you an heir. I'm saying this a lot because I want you to get it, church. This is not just a name you were given. This is a status you were given by grace through the blood of Jesus. So we cannot treat this as a title. This is a sovereign status that the king has given you. You imagine a kingship where they, they give appointments. Right? They appoint director or directors, geez, I'm, I'm so used to wafer technology or, or tech, yeah, whatever, lingo. But they appoint uh, certain positions within a kingdom, right? This is what he's doing. He's appointing children of God, adopting them into the sonship. And we have the privilege of calling him dad. So you are given this status, church, to shake the very foundations of hell. Did you know that? That we have that power? That we can tell demons to to be quiet? Because Jesus did that? And that same power lives inside of us? And we're given the status because the Holy One, this Holy Spirit himself is living inside of us? Those aren't things to be afraid of. These These are battles that we've been made to win. Because God has appointed it so. And that cannot be taken away. The adoption into sonship cannot be taken away. That's ours. God paid for that so that we could have it. Let me say that again. God paid for that so we could have it. And then we go into the, the second section here. I want to show you how this lives out within the twelve when he gets, they get appointed. In Mark 3, verse 14, he says, He, Jesus, appointed twelve that they might that they be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. Here we see a fruition of what it means to be a child of God. These men were, were child or children of God, appointed for a purpose. The twelve were appointed by Jesus, the same we were predestined to do the same things. We were predestined, we were, we were appointed to preach the good news of Jesus. We were appointed to cast out the demons, to lay the hands on the sick. That is very much real and still going. And here's the key. Here's the key. Before you go and do, 
you must first be. Before you go out and do, you must first be. What I mean by that is that you can have the status, you can, you can understand you're a child of God, that, you, that the, all of, the, of heaven is poured into you through the Holy Spirit, and you've been appointed for, for a mighty work. But as a child, if you're not spending time with your daddy, how effective are you going to be? How healthy is that, is that child going to be? So often we want to go out and do, but we forget that we first need to be with God. We need to be with him. All of our health, everything that we have, our, our, our ability to be effective comes from our ability to first just be with Jesus. Look at these. These guys were appointed that they might be with him. That they might be with him. And then from that, they are sent out to preach and expel demons with the authority that has been given to them by the king of kings. Again, healthy children spend time with their father. Everything begins here and leads out from there. So we don't just do, we have to be. We don't just do, we have to be. And I tell you, that's, that's a hard one. It is for me, for sure. How many of you are busy every day? Yeah. And, and time goes by fast. Yes. Boy, I can't believe it's already June. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so afraid we're going to miss it. We're going to miss it. Because we're too busy trying to do and not enough just being. You know, we, we talk about the Sabbath day quite a bit at the adventure. And that was something as, as I was maturing as a Christian, never really grab a hold of. You know, it's just, it was always kind of a legalistic thing in my mind. You know, it was always like, oh, I have to do the Sabbath. Ah, you know, whatever it was. And it was, it was kind of an off thing. It might be once a month, if that. It wasn't something I, I, I proactively actually did. But did you know that the Sabbath, when we talked about, or Jody's been talking about the last couple of weeks, is the most prime opportunity to be with God. It's not about Netflix binging, which is fine, you know. Get your rest, go camping, do whatever you want to do. But make sure that you are being with God on the Sabbath. Because he is the one who gives the rest. And I'm I'm afraid that our, our hearts just, we crave for rest, don't we? We crave it. Boy, sometimes I wonder why there's so much anxiety and, and I get so depressed and I get worried about the future and then I realize that there's a connection. I'm not resting and I'm not being with Jesus. As a child of God, I'm not getting back to the source. I'm trying to do it all myself. I, I have like my own personal shame that I put on myself when I say I have to be doing more. Been called to do more. And I forget that I've been called to be. Been called to be. And, you know, when the last we had the, the Foursquare Connections last week, like I mentioned, and there was a, a fantastic speaker from Atlanta who, who really rocked my world, or well, God rocked my world through him. 
And he said, so often you get so caught up in the significance of doing, and we hide it as impact. But when really all we have to do is be, and God will fulfill the call that he has called on our lives. And that is, that's our culture, right? We're so, we're so caught up in the significance of everything. I have to leave an impact. I have to leave a legacy. I have to do these things because I have to be remembered, right? And recognition is like one of my like, love languages. Like, I'm like, oh, I love it. <laughs> Amy, how did I do? <laughs> Tell me I did well, Amy. <laughs> so for me, it, it's, that was, that was a huge hit in the gut because I could, I could see areas in my life where I was chasing significance and not chasing just being a child of God. Right. Understanding the beauty of the adoption into sonship and experiencing the, the fantastic call that he's placed in my life and appreciating what I have. And that's for every single one of us who have been appointed and called out. Are you too busy doing? Are you defined by what you do? Or are you defined with who you are with? That's my challenge to you, church. That's my challenge to you is to be a child of God, not just do the things a child of God does. You guys see the difference now? A titled child of God just goes and does things because oh, I was given, I have this title, I'm a child of God, I should go do stuff, I'm a Christian, right? But the Christian title doesn't mean anything unless there's a status of a child of God behind it. Christians are what the world calls us because they see little Jesus. I love it, it means little Jesus, little Christ is what Christian means. So he's planted all these little Christs across our globe for a purpose. And we have this connection to daddy, Abba, where we get to just be with him. Can we do a little exercise? Sure. Good, Sarah's really with me. Can we do an exercise? Yeah. I want you to close your eyes. And well, Jim, you can just play a little bit in the back. I want you just to spend time being with Jesus. Just be with him right now. Do you have to say anything? Just in quiet. Be with God.
you stand with me? Again, Jesus wants to be with you. He's appointed you to be with him. He wants a relationship. He wants the relationship more than he wants what you can do. He wants you and and all of that that sin, all of that disgustingness that that you know what I'm talking about in your own life. He wants to take that. He did take that. And the, the, the adoption to sonship isn't just something that we are now. It's also something with a promise in the future that we will be like him at the resurrection. That we'll be able to have an eternity with him, with the other believers. That's going to be a huge party, everybody. That's going to be a celebration beyond all celebrations. When we can walk with him, we can walk with other believers. When we are risen, when we are resurrected again after this. I don't know about you, but I'm praying he comes tomorrow because I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for that. So I want you to be with him, church. Don't miss what he has for you because you're too busy doing things. Remember, I think it was Jody who said something not too long ago, which says the greatest form of love is time. Be with your Abba. Every day. Every day, be with him. I don't know many good relationships where you're only spending a few minutes a month with him or that particular person. Cultivate this relationship. Cherish this relationship. Be proactive in this relationship. Set time to be with Jesus. Because I don't want people to miss out on the calling that they have. Because they're too busy doing things that they've not been called to do. So for those in the room that don't know what I'm talking about, that have never been able to to give their life to this, to become a child of God. I want to first give you this opportunity. It's the great exchange. Romans says that as we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Which means that we can't contribute anything to this. It is a grace-given mercy. That the exchange was Jesus took all of the sin, everything we've done, and he exchanged his righteousness, his perfectness, his cleanliness, his light, and it swapped on the cross. And all of that sin, all of that death, all of that that pain, disease was killed so that we could live by no merit of our own. So what I'm calling you to do if you have never done it before, or maybe you just want a chance to recommit this. Maybe it's been a long time coming and you're ready to get back. I was there. I was a prodigal son. I know exactly what you're talking about. 
exactly what you're going through. Just raise your hand if you want this. We want to pray with you. Amen. 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 See you. Amen. And for the rest of you, church, I want to have you respond. Who is wanting to be with Jesus more today than he did yesterday? Raise your hand if you want to be with Jesus more and have that greater relationship more than you did today, this morning. It starts right now. Let's pray. Father, we want to be with you. You are the very essence of life. We sing that it's your breath in our lungs. Every, gift, every breath is a gift from you, God. Everything we have is a gift from you, God. Lord, we're, we're tired of doing things on our own power. We want to do it because we love you and we are with you. We want to be children of God with authority. The authority that you have given us. Give us boldness to preach and teach. Give us boldness to go into places that don't know you. Let us be light in the darkness just as you were. But let the demons fall and shriek when we enter a room because you are with us, God. Lord, let the sick be healed. Let the lame walk. Empower us with your mighty spirit, God. We are with you. And we bend the knee to you, Jesus. You are our Lord. You are our Savior, but you are our Lord. Call us for your will. Do what you have for us, Jesus. Give us the power to know, the wisdom to know where you want us to go. Personally, as a church, Lord, we love you. We worship you, Jesus. Thank you for appointing us, calling us out, giving us a status that we could not do on our own, but by grace, through faith in you. That we are children of the mighty God. We call on you, Abba. We call on you, Dad. Thank you for being our rest. Thank you for being our safe place. We can come and give to you everything that we have. Thank you for rescuing us from sin and giving us a new life, a new birth. We can walk in confidence, in hope for a future. Because death is not the end. You have conquered death so that we can have life, Jesus. And in your mighty name, the name of Jesus Christ, the name above all names, the name Lord, who brought kings to their knees, 
we thank you. And we look forward to the things you have for us, God. And we are with you, abiding in you, Jesus. In your glorious name, amen.